And uh, we're going to be today continuing in our series in Philippians. We're kind of past halfway through our five-week series uh, through Philippians. It's been kind of a fast pace, but uh, we only have five weeks because we're going to be starting a series after this, uh, looking at the kind of the Reformation. And so I'm excited about that. So it's a, a, a really heavy book. Philippians has a lot of awesome uh, promises and things for us, but uh, I hope that even though we're moving fast, that you guys are getting something out of this. This is a, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the people of Philippi, the Philippians. And uh, as, I, as Sam mentioned last week, and I've mentioned as well, this is the, it's such an awesome and encouraging letter. It's the kind of letter that you'd love to go to your mailbox and receive. It's just, uh, it's very uplifting. It, it does have some, some kind of critiques and how they can adjust, but uh, it's such a cool letter in the sense that it's, it's, it's meant to lift them up. It's meant to encourage them that they're doing a good job, and Paul is just kind of guiding them into the next step and going further in their Christian walk, which is something so helpful for us today as believers and how to live out the Christian walk day by day and to have joy in all the things we experience. And who better to teach us about that than Paul, who's writing this letter as he's shackled in prison and talks about joy and how he's excited about uh, what God is doing and even in his life, even from prison. And he sees it as, as just a call on his life to be there and how God is using it for his glory. And so what a great person to talk about uh, how we can have joy and the key of course being seeing, having Christ be our ultimate pleasure our ultimate prize which is going to be a big part of what we're going to be looking at today and Paul's kind of leads us or talks to us gives us a formula if you will in how to keep moving forward and that the key is what our prize is that having Christ as our prize and putting as the series title gives away Christ in everything so we're going to be moving into chapter 3 today of Philippians. Uh, before we dive in, we're going to actually go all the way through chapter 3 today. It's going to be exciting. We're going to move kind of quick through the beginning uh, because it is a lot of repeating of what Sam brought up last week, but we do want to go through it. We believe in going through the Bible. We don't want to just pick and choose the parts that we like the best. We believe that God's Word is whole, and especially as this is a letter uh, how much more important it is to read it as a whole. I don't think any of us would want to send a letter to somebody and have them just read sections of it. That could be easily taken out of context. So it's important for us to keep the whole picture in mind. Uh, before we dive into that, though, I want to just take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word as always. What a gracious gift that we have something that we can hold in our hands that's in black and white that tells us more about how to live our lives, how who, more about who you are and our relationship with you, and, and that uh, not only do we get to read this and learn from it as individuals in our hearts and, and being kind of morphed and opened up by you and, and uh, the power that your word has, but that we can do this together, Lord, that we can come together today as a family of believers and stand together and read your word together. And I pray, Father, that you would unite us in that and open our hearts to receive from you. And I would ask you to open my heart, Lord, that only your truth, only your wisdom is on my lips. In Jesus' name, amen. So, to begin, a little bit of review. Uh, last week, Sam 
uh, kind of walked us through two words that I think we, I want to revisit really quickly. It's, I know some of you uh, weren't here last week, but even for, us of us, for those of us that were here last week, it's an important two words for us to understand in the text that we're going to be looking at today. And anything that Paul wrote in the New Testament all kind of centers around these two words. And those words are justification and sanctification. And he kind of walks us through the differences in these two, and I don't want to go too deep into it. Uh, you can always listen to the message uh, that Sam preached last week online. But really quick, a definition of these two terms for our understanding. Uh, justification is to do with our standing before God, that we are right now, as we come to Christ as our Savior, and we believe in Him. Paul says that if we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we are saved, we belong to Him. When we do that, we are in right standing with God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We have a right standing with Him. Our sin is completely covered by the blood of Christ, and that is our justification. We have been justified for our sins. We deserved death. That is what the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us, and we have been justified for that. That's been paid for through Christ's work on the cross. It's something that happened outside of our actions or our work or anything that we did to earn it or to deserve it. This is our salvation. Our salvation is through our justification, through faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is like a very deep sentence, but kind of all-encompassing when it comes to justification. But we know that when we come to this knowledge of the truth, when we come to Christ as our Savior, we are not like instantly transformed. We're not changed. We're not suddenly perfect. We suddenly don't uh, have different desires. And it's a gradual process that happens from the moment that we come to that, uh, that saving grace all the way until the end of our life. And this is what sanctification is. This is the continuing work that is being done in us by the Holy Spirit. And last week we read a really interesting verse in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. I'll read quickly. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Now, Sham... Sam. Sam showed us that this is kind of a has different layers because it sounds confusing. It sounds contradictive to some other things that we understand about our salvation. If we're justified and it happens outside of us, and what's this work? And he walked a lot through that. We won't have time to get into. But what's important for us to kind of recognize here today is that this work is in is not only done by the Holy Spirit. The, as Christ, or as the Holy Spirit changes us and molds us and transforms our hearts, but there is also a part that we play in that. But it has—it's not to earn salvation. The ju- that's justification. That's done. You are justified by your faith in Christ, despite how you, what you do, how many times you mess up. The justification is final, but the sanctification is this molding and transforming of our hearts that's done with the Holy Spirit. And us together. We labor together in this work. And we'll be looking more at some specific examples that Paul will give us in our text today. So this is, we're justified by grace through faith. And 
but it's not the finished work, right? And then if we go all the way back to chapter 1 that we looked at, that God, the work that God began in us, He will continue to completion, and we can be confident in that. Kind of just, again, tying in some of the pieces that we've looked at already in this letter, so we can kind of be keeping this whole picture in mind. So this is not only uh, for us as individuals, is what another thing Sam really pointed out that I always want to emphasize, especially for us here in this uh, congregation, in this service, and in this church, and as believers in general, that this is something that God does in all of us together. This you is not to you as an individual, but to you as in the plural. And this is important because our sanctification is also done through our relationships with one another that we are praying for one another, that we're standing by one another in times of trouble, and that we're correcting one another when, it's lend, when the opportunity lends itself for us to be correcting one another. We want to be working out that salvation with fear and trembling, fear and trembling kind of just keeping in mind of the mightiness of God and that He's always with us and watching us and that we want to live our lives in a way that is continually growing towards him which is going to be our focus mostly for today so that all of that kind of in context let's dive into chapter 3 verse 1 through 3 further my brothers and sisters rejoice in the lord it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you and just stopping right there so we can see Paul is very clear, the repeating nature of this letter that seems like, wait, didn't he say that already? There's a purpose for it. There's a reason. It's a safeguard for us. That safeguard being he wants us to get it. He's excited about these things, and so he's repeating it so that it would be something that's also hopefully exciting for us that we connect to. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those... uh... Wow, I knew it would happen. Uh, mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. She, we had a thing that she was going to... I messed up reading that word, and we were convinced that it was going to happen on, when I actually got up here, and it did. So... Now I'm back on track. Paul here is drawing this comparison between the church, the Christians, the people who were, that he's writing to, and the Judaizers. Now this is an interesting word we talked a lot about way back in the beginning of this uh, service in, as we went through Galatians where Paul gets a lot more in depth on this subject. But these were people who believed in the Jewish tradition, so mostly Jews or people who had converted to Judaism that believed they were a kind of Christian in the sense that they believed that if you really wanted to be a follower of Christ, if you wanted to really be a Christian, you also had to obey all of the Old Testament laws completely. And really, not that the... And we know the law in itself is good. The Bible is very clear on that. But what their, their fault was is that they believed that was their righteousness, that their righteousness, that what really made them right before God was the works that they did. In obeying the law and following these traditions, this is what made them holy rather than 
the justification by faith, the grace of God. And so Paul's kind of calling them out and kind of warning them to be kind of weary of them. And I want to point out two interesting phrases here just because they're kind of interesting. And what Paul's doing is having a play on words when he talks about dogs and mutilators of the flesh. Dogs was a phrase that the Jews often used in reference to the Gentiles, so people who, you know, anyone who wasn't a Jew, any non-Jew, they would refer to them as dogs. And so he's kind of twisting it around, using this derogatory term back on them. And then mutilators of the flesh is, again, this kind of play on words because they believe that their physical circumcision made them holier than those who wouldn't have done that. And... Um, what he's kind of pointing out is that this is actually the evidence of their destruction because it shows that their heart hasn't grasped the truth of grace, that Christ died for their sins apart from anything that they've done, that that salvation is a free gift. And Christ says that it is for freedom he has set us free, not to be slaves under the law anymore, but to live freely for Christ. And so... It reveals their true heart, that they misunderstood the true nature and the truth of the gospel. That they're, and he's kind of twisting it around and saying that they're actually just mutilators of the flesh. We're the real circumcision because we believe the, the truth of our circumcision, that it's not about the, a physical act it's not about anything we've done. It's that we believe in the grace. We believe in the justification of our sins by, through the faith that we have in the cross and the work of the cross, of Christ on the cross. And so kind of just an interesting play on words and a warning for those that are living, kind of maybe considering going in this direction of going back to works rather than trusting in grace. Let's continue with our text. Because when it comes to living by the law here, and I, Paul, no one knew it better than Paul. And he kind of goes through this, verse 4 through 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So if anybody's going to be confident, it's Paul and trust in their works. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. So this is according to the law, going all the way back to Abraham. So he definitely was set there by the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So the tribe of Benjamin was kind of held in a little bit higher regard amongst the Israelites. And, uh, you know, kind of like Texas and America, we're like a little more American than the rest of... No, okay. There's only a couple Americans here, so I need to be careful. So he was a Hebrew among Hebrews in regard to the law... A Pharisee, so this means that he didn't just know the law well, but he had studied it thoroughly and completely. He knew it. He he even taught it. So obeying it was just second nature. Verse six: As for zeal, persecuting the church; as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, persecuting the church. Sounds like a bad thing, but if you look at it, his point is that when he was persecuting the church, the Christians, he saw it as a crime against God, as blasphemy. And it was kind of, he had such a passion and such a zeal for God and what, and what he believed was right, which was the law. And this was kind of, they were, you know, degrading the law that he, for God, as it were, 
was destroying this Christian sect that was denouncing the, the truth of the law. That was, so in his eyes, he had, he had this, a passion and a zeal for God. And Paul's point is that if anybody could say that they could earn their way into heaven by obeying these laws, he had somewhat right to say so in that sense. And of course, he doesn't say so, and that's his point. Even I, who did everything perfect, and I mean, I was, I was on the front lines fighting, ready to, to be killing people for God. That's how much I was, I was so passionate about what I believed. And I didn't earn my way into heaven. What do you think you can just because you're circumcised is the point he's trying to make. He was fiercely and passionately uh, following what he believed to be right. He sought to follow every iota, every bit of the law of God down to the letter. Continuing into verse 7, and we'll go all the way through verse 11. But whatever... <clears throat> but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, all the way down into prison, no possessions. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's pretty much just sums up all of our understanding of the, the basics of Christianity. All of our Christian hope, justified only through faith, becoming righteous and right standing by, with God, not by anything He had done, even though He had done a lot, but by faith, by God's grace. And His desires changed what He counted as lost, or what he counted as gain, he now counts as loss. Becoming like Christ, even in his suffering, even in death. Why? Because of the great prize, the better hope of what is promised, the resurrection. Eternity with Christ. And Paul lays out how a Christian's view of what really matters is transformed. And this happens through our, through our justification or begins at our justification as, our, as we come to this grace, this knowledge of, of saving grace, and is continued through sanctification in our lives. Our desires change. What we count as gain and what we count as loss changes. And Paul you see a radical change. I mean, I think there's no greater example of a radical transformation than Paul, who still had that zeal and that passion, but what was important to him was radically transformed. And so for us, we want to examine our hearts and what we count as gain, what we count as loss, that it not be money or success or power or knowledge. Paul had these things. He had power. He had influence. 
He had great knowledge. He had people who followed him. And yet he counts it all as rubbish, as garbage in comparison because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm actually going to jump all the way down to verse 12 because otherwise we're going to run out of time. This is where I want to spend most of my time. Because here we see Paul in this next passage. We see Paul give us a really significant leading in how we can actually do something in our sanctification. And he kind of goes through what his formula is. And again, last week, Paul, Paul, Sam mentioned this is something that you know, we, we want to work together in. But there's also a part that, that has to be kind of done on the inside, in our hearts. And this is a part of that. So if we read verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this. So he's not there yet. He hasn't reached this goal. He's not resurrected. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He makes it clear here. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. I've not arrived at my goal. I've not taken hold of it. I'm not there yet. So we know that we can all kind of Tie in with that. None of us here have reached perfection yet. We haven't reached a glorification. None of us are living with Christ yet. We're all alive, for one thing. There's, there's, a, there's a clear work that needs to be done. And Paul says he has a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And if we tie this in with 2 Timothy 4.7, something that Paul wrote much later in his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. To me, this is clear. The goal is clear. The goal is to keep the faith, to keep on walking with Christ until the end of our lives, that we would daily take up our cross and follow Him. This is our goal. And we walk towards a prize, and the prize is eternity with Christ. Eternity with Him, in, in communion with Him, and with one another, in love and relationship. This is our goal, to keep the faith. And we walk towards the prize of eternity with Jesus. In this life, as we follow Christ, things will be hard. And in that, we suffer with Him. Jesus never promised that it would be easy. There's nowhere in there. In fact, he promises it will be hard. Things will be difficult. We will have struggles. And he says, if the master suffers, if they ridicule the master, how much more his followers? And what did they do to him? They beat him and ridiculed him and crucified him. Most of us in, in Western society have no clue of that kind of suffering. 
And so how much more should we take everything that we do, go with every struggle we have, with joy, with a gracious uh, faith in who Christ is, knowing what he went through for our sake, keeping our eyes fixed on him as our ultimate prize. And so when it comes to this, to keeping with our goal, heading towards the prize, I want to go through a few things. Number one, you have to know yourself. Know who you are. And what I mean here is self-evaluation, taking time to look at who you are. We know that Paul must have done that because he says, he, he goes through, he had gone through the things that he had done and he remembered them in that sense in knowing who he was. And we need to take time to evaluate who we are first before we can move forward from there. And the best way to look at ourselves, to get a good understanding of who we are, is to step into the light. You know, in uh, dim lighting, everything looks good. Everybody looks good in dim lighting. That's why romantic movies are always in really low-lit areas. Because everybody looks good in candlelight, right? We need to step into these spotlights that you guys are really getting to see who I am. We need to step into the light. What is the light? Well, Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. So to examine our hearts, we can look at God's word, at his standard of righteousness, at his standard of holiness. And when we do that, it, it's real, we're real quick to see. No, we, we, don't, we, don't even, we don't hold up to that. We don't hold up to that standard. We need a Savior. And as we walk with Christ in this transformation of our hearts, in this sanctification, John eight twelve says that when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So as we abide in Christ and we walk with him day by day, we see much more clearly. As I look at my own life and I look back at where I've come in my walk with Him, it's really clear to see moments where the lights seem to come on. These kind of eureka moments where you really, eureka moments, where you really begin to understand who you really are and your desperate need for Him. There are times in my life where I really felt like I had it together and I really knew what I was doing. And, you know, that I was just kind of the gift to the world, that God had created me as a gift to others. But as I walk with him, the lights have come on, and I see that God has only been gracious to me. And I have a desperate need for him. And as we do this, as we walk with him, as we come into the light, through the word, through our experience and our relationship with Christ, it becomes clear. We can see we have, we're not perfect, as Paul lays out. We're not perfect. There's a work that needs to be done. We need a Savior. But there is something that we can do, as I mentioned, before I run out of time, and in our sanctification. Let's read Philippians 3.13 one more time. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. 
So the whole picture of this is that if we're walking with Christ, we need to be walking. We need to be moving. And this is kind of, this one thing sounds like two, forgetting what is behind, straining for what is ahead, but it's not really two things, is it? Because how we can't be moving forward if we're always focusing on what's behind us, if we're always clinging to what is behind us, to our past, we're not going to be moving forward. We're not going to be walking with Christ. And then our sanctification can be slow going. It's important for us to keep pressing on for that goal, to be faithful with Christ to the end, headed for the prize of eternity with Christ. Now, just to be clear, we don't forget everything behind us. There are things that we do need to remember. There are lessons we need to learn. You know, I hope nobody has to touch the stove multiple times to realize it's hot. We will, there are things that we experience that we need to learn from, that we don't repeat those mistakes over and over again. But there are also things that we need to forget. I want to go through a few things that we should forget. First thing. For all those of you who are taking notes, past mistakes. We need to let past mistakes go. Sometimes it's little things. Maybe uh, I think we all probably have at least a couple mistakes we've made this week. Maybe something you said to somebody that you're like, ah, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have said it that way. It's not necessarily a big sin, but you weren't gracious. Maybe you weren't. Uh, you kind of you regret that you said it the way you did, or maybe it's uh, just the way you reacted to something, or even maybe something uh, a waste of time. Watch something you really didn't. I shouldn't have watched that, or whatever it might be. A mistake that you've made. Maybe it's a mistake in the way that you treated someone, in one way or another. You know those things in your own life. We all make mistakes, and we don't. We want to learn from our mistakes, but we don't want to live with regret. We don't want to live holding on to those things. We want to let them go because we want to keep moving forward. We want to be forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Another thing to forget that's a little bit more difficult is hurts, past hurts. When somebody said something to you that you didn't like, or in a way you didn't like. Or maybe they didn't say anything to you at all. And you were like, hey man, why, why didn't you say hi to me this week? I waved at you. You didn't wave back. What's that about, man? And those things sometimes can affect us. And they can affect our relationships. And they can affect the way we think about that person. And man, let that go. Forgetting what is behind and pressing on for what is ahead. If there's somebody you really like and you care about, then you can approach them. We want to be a, play, a, we want to be a family. But if, you, if, if that's not possible or whatever it might be, forget it anyway. Move on. Don't hold on to those things. Don't have grudges. And maybe it's a bigger hurt, something that somebody really came in and, and just really put the knife in and twisted. It might take longer, but we want to be... If our eyes are focused on what's ahead, then those things start to fade away in the distance. 
But if we're focusing on them, then we're not moving forward. And they never get further away. They stay the same distance until we turn away from them and start heading in the direction. Heading with Christ, walking with Him in our sanctification as He molds and changes us. Forgetting what is behind, straining for what is ahead. Another thing to forget, I think one of the most difficult of all the things to forget, is success. Yep, we need to forget those things too. We don't want to be always clinging to the glory days back when, thing, when we were really good at this or that or when we were the leader of this or that or when you know, we had, things were going so well and we kind of just hold on to that thing. We hold on to who we were and how our, the influence we had or the power or the whatever it might be. Maybe it was a job you had that was really, really good and you just kind of, ah, man, you know, my job sucks because it's not like ah, I used to have such a great job or I used to have such great friends, but now I've moved to a new place. And always clinging to the good, successful, you know, impressive things of our past. Those things, too, have to be let go. They can lead to pride. They can get you stuck in a rut. And maybe God has something way, way better just down the road. But he's just waiting for you to let that thing go. Maybe you have to walk through the desert a little bit. Sometimes God kind of leads us through harder times and it's hard to let go of those really good times but he is always faithful and he's always with us we're never alone and as we continue to walk with him we can trust that he's going to lead us where he is wanting to lead us but we have to first forgetting what is behind and heading for what straining toward what is ahead as paul did who had success, he had power, and, a, and I mean, if he had kept going with that life, he would have, you know, had a pretty cushy life. He had, would have had a lot of influence. I mean, he was a rising star of, amongst the Pharisees, so to speak. And he says, man, that was, that was garbage. Who needs that, man? I've got Christ. <laughs> what a great image for us today when forgetting our success. Another one, forgetting your losses. Another hard one. There's times when we have losses in our life, maybe in the natu- maybe with uh, finances or, or whatever, or maybe losing a loved one, losing a friend. And there is time for mourning and time for uh, needing comfort from one another and needing comfort from God, and He's faithful f- with that. But there comes a point where we have to forget what is behind us. David is a great example who lost a child in the Bible. He lost, a, he lost a child, and as the child was sick, and, and they, they, they were pretty sure there's no, how is he going to make it through? He was on his deathbed. He, was, he wouldn't eat. He was mourning, but then the baby dies, and we see him get up, and he eats, and everybody's kind of freaking out, like, hey, aren't you sad that now the baby, your, your son died? And he said, I'll see him again. I'll see him again. There's nothing to do, there's nothing to mourn over now. I just look forward to what's ahead. I'm paraphrasing that, but it's a true story. It's in the Bible. So what a, what a tremendous and, and strong example of dealing with loss of, hey, I, I'm just going to keep looking forward and forgetting what is behind. And the last thing I'll leave you with things to forget is your sins. Your sins against God. 
We go to him, we repent. He is faithful and just to forgive every time because we're justified by our faith in him. And then he says he, he puts our sin as far as the east is from the west. So how much more should we put that behind us, put those sins behind us? We don't need to come to God again and again and again for a sin that we've already come to him with. We've already asked for forgiveness, and he, was, he forgave us. That's not God putting that on your heart to, to remember it. The devil wants us to, to remember our sins. He wants, to re- he wants us focused on the past, whether it's remembering the good old days and reminiscing and uh, looking back with, with fondness or with grief or with regret or with sorrow or with shame, whatever it may be that's pointing our eyes in that direction, the devil loves it because then we're not moving forward into what God has for us. We're not moving forward into what God is directing us to. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Headed for the prize, eternity with Christ. In the great words of Dory from Finding Nemo and later Finding Dory. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. So if you don't remember anything else from today, just remember that. In life, just keep swimming. Just keep going. Don't get stuck on the things of the past. You don't have to forget everything like she did, but just keep going. Keep moving forward. Don't hold on to the past. Keep moving forward. Now, I want to go ahead and read the last of our text where Paul continues with kind of using himself as an example. And last uh, throughout this, this entire uh, Letter. We've seen him use Jesus as an example of, of humility. We, we see him use Timothy as an example, and now also himself as someone we can emulate, as we, that we can follow. And here's what he kind of walks us through in verse 15 through 21. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. So taking this view... Those of you who are mature in your relationship with Christ should live this way, living where you just keep swimming, where you keep moving forward, forgetting what's behind you because you're so focused on Christ as a surpassing value and worth to anything that you've experienced, anything in yourself or anything that the world has to offer. So those who are mature should, uh, should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, maybe something you're still struggling with, that too God will make clear to you. So as we walk with him, Christ illuminates, we we see light come into our lives, and those things that we didn't really understand or were unclear become more clear as we continue walking with him. Things become illuminated. He says, hey, those things that you might not agree completely or whatever you're struggling with, don't worry, keep going. Christ is going to reveal to you. It's going to become clear over time. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. So the things that you have gotten from him, don't go backwards is what he's saying. (laughs) At least don't go backwards. Whatever you do, keep living with the revelation, with the things that you do understand. Don't let those things just kind of fall to the wayside, but keep moving forward 
and at the very least, don't move backwards. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So this is just this is pointing to our prize, pointing to where we're headed, eternity with, with him in heaven, not in these bodies, not the way we are, not broken, but holy and new and glorious. So it's a good thing to look forward to. But there are two things that I really want us to grasp that I want to leave with concluding quickly here from this passage. And that is find an example in your life to follow. Find someone to follow. And second, learn to be someone that others can follow and emulate. We want to find people to follow. I want to be clear with this. I have, I have people that are, I have a lot of people that I would consider mentors in my life. And some of them have died hundreds of years ago. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone you know today. It can also be someone from the past. There are just insane amounts of books of men and women of God that lived a life that follows this example, that they were so focused on where they were headed, so focused on Christ, so focused on the prize, that they continued to move in their life. They never were stuck in the past, never stuck in, in where they were, but continuing to move forward and in different ways. Obviously, that looks so different to every individual. But there is this thing that unites us in our vision, in our mission, to continue towards Christ, our eyes fixed on Him. And so I encourage you to find people in your life. And there are good people, uh, pastors, uh, friends you might know, maybe someone in your family that you see as a good example. It doesn't mean that they live perfect. Paul's very clear he's not perfect. It doesn't mean that they're not going to make mistakes and they're not going to let you down. I mean, even in, in looking at my reading where you know, they only are, they're kind of choosing the image that I get to see of who they are, you still see flaws and mistakes because we're human beings, but we're all united in that. It's not about where they are. And for you today, as, you, as we seek to be someone that is worthy of being emulated, it's not that you're perfect. It's about the direction you're heading. Are you heading backwards are you standing where you are? Or are you walking with Christ? And if you're walking with Christ, it doesn't matter where you are on that journey. It's about the direction you're heading. Because if people are following you, they can't follow you if you're just standing there. You have to be moving. And so it's about moving with Christ. And as we do that, we become an example to those around us. 
So I would encourage you guys with that. And I think you always have to have both. You always need to be looking at people. Obviously, we look to Christ. We can look at Paul's example here and Timothy. We can look at uh, you know, some great figures that we find in Scripture who all had flaws except Jesus. But ultimately, it's good to be having people that we can... And it's good to have a variety of people that you can be looking at to this because of all of the different ways this looks and plays out in different people's lives. So I encourage you with that. And as you do that, seek to be someone that can be emulated as well. And think not only on yourself and how you're being transformed, but the effect of your transformation as an example to others. And just to kind of, this was kind of my end point where I want to reread verse 18 where he says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about the lost. We don't want this idea to just be stuck here in this building, to be just stuck amongst Christians. But our ultimate goal is that we would be an example to the world, that we would be, as Paul, we would, with tears, think on those who are lost, those who don't see the truth, who don't know Christ. And this is what I want to really leave you guys with, is to think on this, to imagine this, Imagine a world where Christians are really united and that they're not fighting over little things. They're not having petty discussions about this or that, focusing on the past, not rivalries, not dissensions, but focused together, united in their ultimate goal to be faithfully walking with Christ day to day, as an example to one another and an example to the world of what Christ really offers us. Hope in all things. Because when I have an ultimate prize and Jesus is set before me and my eyes are fixed on Him, then wherever I'm walking, whether it's soft grass or through thorns or through rock or through desert, I know that it's all so small. And even the great things in life are meaningless as loss in comparison to the worth, the surpassing worth of Christ in my relationship with Him. I want to invite the band to come back up. We're going to do one more song, and I want to encourage you guys, getting back to this idea of forgetting, something that God really has just kind of laid on my heart, and and this is for me too, that during this time as as they do a song, We want to stand, we want to worship Him together, but I also want to encourage those of you who maybe have something you're holding on to in the past that's keeping you from moving forward today. This is my belief. This is what I really believe God placed in my heart for today, that you might have brought it with you, but you don't have to leave with it. You do not need to leave with that thing that's been holding you back, anchoring your ship not allowing you to move forward with God and with Christ and what he has next for you because you're holding so tightly onto this thing in the past. You don't need to bring it with you today. You can leave it here. We'll take care of it for you. God wants to take that off your heart. He wants to relieve you from it. So I encourage you, 
with two, I'll give you two things, kind of, if that's you today. You say, man, I do have, yep, I have that. Maybe it's a small thing, maybe it's a big thing. You have something that you're holding on to, really having trouble letting it go. Pray to get that God would just take it. Say, God, I don't want this anymore. I want to just lay it down at your feet right now, and I don't want to bring it home with me. I don't want it in my life. I don't want to hold on to it. I want to move forward with you. Just pray that to God. And the second thing I would say, if you say that if you're really struggling with it, I want you to, we, let's pray for one another. Grab somebody, let's, and we can pray for one another. You don't have to say what it is. You don't need to confess anything. You don't have to say what the thing is that you need to let go, but just come, you can come together with somebody and say, hey, you know what, I, I, I have something I really would like it if you pray for me, or I'd like to just pray with you. We believe in the power of praying together. You don't have to. There's no pressure. And if anybody, uh, you know, is asked and they don't want to, you can just say, no, I don't really feel like I'm in a place to do that. This is a, a safe place in that regard. But take this time, and whatever you need to do, you can come and talk to me or to Bex, and we'd be happy to pray with you as well. But whatever you do, don't walk through those doors today with that thing. You don't have to. God really wants you to lay it down and he, he's going to help you release that and get rid of it. So whatever you do, don't leave today with that thing. Let's, let's pray and let's worship God together.